Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Thanks for joining us. This week we are joined by Harvard Law School Professor Randall Kennedy. He is really quite a guest. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicsworldroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can. Don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the link to this week's sponsors, Rise and HelloFresh, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really makes this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James Carville, uh, I have uh, I have covered or watched congressional hearings for a long, long time. But this week's that special committee January 6th hearing with four police officers who risked their lives fending off a mob assault on the Capitol, I think may have been the most compelling since the Sam Irvin 1973 Watergate hearings. These were cops, veterans, men of exceptional courage who were beaten and insulted by a crazy mob. There were videos that documented these assertions, lest any of the right want to say, question their credibility. And they made, I think, about three or four important points. Number one, these were terrorists that assaulted the Capitol January 6th. It wasn't a bunch of protesters who just went overboard. They talked about killing people. They were Trump supporters. They had their MAGA gear on, and they said they were inspired by Trump. And their intent wasn't to protest, wasn't to peacefully or even with a little bit of uh, out of hand to say uh, we're upset about uh, Trump. They came to overturn a constitutional process. As one officer said, we were defending democracy against a mob. Uh, I, it was just, it was riveting. I couldn't turn it off. And I think, James, I think you, you will agree with this. Special praise for three members. The chair, Benny Thompson, who wouldn't have been my choice, but he struck a perfect tone. He really, it was a perfect tone. And he wisely engaged Republicans Liz Cheney as, Republican Liz Cheney as his partner that day. Cheney and, and Republican Congressman Adam Kinziger, the two Republicans Pelosi appointed, display character, integrity, and devotion to rule of law. It was really, it, it was the sort of thing that made you feel awfully good about parts of this country. Yeah, I, one of the, uh, they, they said they were terrorists. I, I disagree, I would say they were criminals, but I'm not going to get into an argument about whether they were probably both. But, but I, yeah. I don't know why we just can't call people criminals. But one of the, I think it was a female said, look, we wasn't there to rob, we wasn't there to steal, we were just there to overthrow the government. Which <laughs> yeah. is like, a, yeah. you're talking about admission against interest. I mean, that's about the highest admission you can get an interest. And these people are so warped and so utterly fucked up that they don't think there's anything wrong with trying to overthrow the government. I, 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 it, it, you're right. What was the first, con- tell people how long, what's the first congressional committee you can remember covering? When was it? Well, there were lots of routine hearings, but the first right. one that you never forget was a Sam Irvin 1973 okay. hearing. I mean, those you were had even covered by 1973. All right. Okay. Right. So, so there we are, almost fit. Almost 50 years later, 73 right. to 2003 is what? Right. You know, you 48 years by LSU standards. Oh, but yeah. Okay. So, so. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, I, I don't have nearly the experience as a journalist of watching them. I always see span a little bit 
I thought it was some of the most riveting television I'd ever seen, not just congressional hearing. And more to come, people, more to come. And the reason that they're all so scared and the reason they're doing this is we're going to, you know, when, when you can ask Professor Kennedy when he gets home, if I'm the lookout guy in an armed robbery, I'm just as guilty as the armed robber. If, if I case the joint and I give the armed robber, I'm just as guilty. And what they're going to find out, I think, I believe, that Republican members of Congress and Republican staffers, that they were actually criminals in that building. And I think that's what they're driving at. I think there's a good chance that's the case, James. And yeah, right. it, it, it just shows why the Republicans, the Kevin McCarthy Republicans, so desperately wanted to avoid this hearings. It was so devastating. And all they can do now is spin lies. And their lies change every day. It's situational lying. Uh, it's now all the fault of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, uh, Elise Stefanik, uh, who is, uh, you know, who has become a Trumpite, a, a woman who, who doesn't let uh, uh, integrity or character get in the way, said Pelosi was responsible for inadequate security and dragging her feet and calling their reinforcements. That's a lie, James. That's just not wrong. It's a lie. Uh, she wasn't responsible for security. The, 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 the people responsible for not calling in reinforcements was the Trump administration. Andrew Clyde from Georgia, he, he gives Marjorie Greene a really close race for the dumbest newcomer in Congress, says still, he still says, these were mainly tourists. Didn't he watch any of those scenes? And especially Jim Jordan, your favorite, Jim Jordan, finally, after five questions, had to admit to Brett Baer that he talked to Trump January 6th. He's the one they wanted to put on the committee. I mean, for God's sakes, you never put a material witness uh, on the jury. I mean, it's, it, it, it is remarkable. And they lie and they lie and they lie. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to get away with it. I hope not. Well, well, well first of all, at least I think it was Glenn Kessler, one of the fact checkers, and I don't think whoever it was would get it wrong, but I think it was the Post. Next Post doesn't have anything to do with the Capitol Police. There's a Capitol Police right. board, all right? There is. And, and, uh, it, but it doesn't, what they have come to learn is just like as soon as on, on September, on January the 6th, on January the 7th, they said, well, it was Antifa. Okay, so then, of course, that's totally untrue, 100% untrue. And they just move, and, and their people are, are, are satiated by lies. So just they just make anything up that that they want. But I don't believe I, I, I you know I spent a lot of time in Mississippi, every place there, and, and I think Benny is put together a hell of a team here. And of course, all, all hail Speaker yes. Pelosi. And, and, and I like the fact that a black guy and a female are just slapping the living shit out of them along with Liz Cheney. It's gratifying to watch this. It's really gratifying. Boy, Cheney and, Kissing, uh, Cheney and Kinziger uh, deserve uh, a special place. Uh, you know, I, I haven't voted for a lot of Republicans in recent years, but if I could move to Wyoming or Illinois, I'd, I'd, I'd pull that R button. I've always teased you about you're always looking for the good Republican. Well, I, <laughs> I found on this, <laughs> at least on this issue, you know, we found, and I, I'm going to tell you something about Liz Cheney. It's that she, she ain't going to change. They, they, she's, she's dug in. And the only thing she's going to do is dig in more. I promise you. That woman, well, is she, tough. Has, she is as she tough has a as problem, a James. 
she has a real problem. She cares about the truth. Uh, and, and, and that poses real difficulties. And the counter to that, a special place in hell. I mentioned Jordan and I mentioned uh, uh, Stefanik and Clyde and others, but a special place in hell for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he, he is a, a, a heir to his namesake, Joe, when it comes to demagoguery and disregard for the truth, but he's not nearly as smart as Joe McCarthy. He's kind of Joe McCarthy minus 20 points. He's just a weak coward. And uh, he's desperate to hold on, and he's making a fool of himself. And it doesn't matter because all that matters to him is whatever he can spin in order to become the next speaker. Well, I, I called him a pathetic glob of protoplasm. Let me tell you, the one person that hopes that Kevin McCarthy doesn't die, because if Kevin McCarthy dies, then he will be the most spineless person in the, in the Republican Party, and that's Lindsey Graham. As long as Kevin McCarthy is alive... No one can say that Lindsey Graham is the most finest person in the Republican Party. Now, he, he's got built-in insurance right there. I, I, I don't know. I think we ought to have a runoff. I, I don't think it's as clear-cut okay. as that. It's close. Okay, let's, it's, okay, yeah, let, it's let some of our listeners come in. And, and, and I think Kevin McCarthy is more spineless than, than Lindsey Graham. You say it's a debate. I, I, I would defer to our, our listeners on that, but we would like some participation right. on this issue. Who is more spineless, gutless, cowardly, Lindsey Graham or South Carolina or Kevin McCarthy, D, California? That's a Super Bowl contest. Send it in to at Politicon. We really and we'll we'll let you know next week right. uh, what the results. And, I, and I'm are. willing so to send accept as many the fee. as you can. Okay. Well, Lynch. I'm not exactly. I'm not. I'm not. Right, right, no, no, I know. Uh, Graham, I know. I'm just saying it's close. It's a. The more I, uh, I think about it, the closer it is. It, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, a final a final thought on this, which is, will they get away with it? I mean, they have their things. We all thought that after January the sixth, that uh, the Republican Party was in a state of crisis, if not dead. Uh, but James, they seem to get away with a lot of this stuff. I don't know if it'll be that case again. But it worries me because it's so clear cut. You know, I go back when you were covering whether even the Nixon impeachment in the beginning, there were two sides. I thought one side was much more convincing than the other. Uh, tax cuts, two sides. Uh, war in Iraq, two sides. You can agree or disagree. This, there's not two sides. I mean, there's not a counter argument. So the question is, will they get away with it? So, so let me ask you a question. There's two sides. On what side have the Republicans ever been right on? All right, that they're really on tax cuts. You, you, you even like, uh, you know. Oh, uh, I think George they, Bush was right in the first Iraq War. Well, a lot of Democrats voted. Some Democrats voted for that. I think he was. Yeah, I think George right? Bush okay. was right in the Americans with Disabilities Act. There's it, some. That was a very that right. was a Democratic thing. All right, tax cuts. It ain't close. I, abortion, you could right. say. Well, you could people you can have an opinion. All right, I, I, I'm not. I, I mean, James, I am. Uh, I, I agree with you ninety percent. I just not a hundred. I don't think. I, I, know, I, I know. George I know, W. I know, Bush right. was pretty good in AIDS. Uh, uh, he was. I mean, was there, when I reached what, Donald what, Trump, they were definitely not good. Was on, on you know promoting gay marriage to save his political ass. But never mind. I, I, your point's no. well taken, and, and this is minor compared to the crap we, we're dealing with now. So, and I I come to a screeching halt on that when it comes to Donald Trump. There's no, nothing redeeming no, yeah, about no, Donald yeah, Trump yeah, politically or personally, and and he lost. You know, big loser this week, uh, congressional race in Texas, which he really got deeply involved in. 
uh, went and campaigned for the candidate, put out, uh, you know, calls, uh, all kinds of stuff, and she lost, James. What does that say about Donald Trump? You know, I, I, I don't know, Al. You know, I, can, you know, I, saw, I think that the poor ticket sales for the O'Reilly Trump tour are indicative of something. Mm-hmm. I think this is indicative of something. Mm-hmm. What? I don't quite know. But I'll tell you what sophisticated people that I talk to in politics says. Part of Trump's brand, and I think Trump understands this, is he's a winner. All right? He owns the libs. And, and right now, he looks like a guy that is getting owned. And I don't think his people are going to give up on Trumpism, but I think that the fact that he seems to be losing and losing on a lot of fronts right now actually hurts him. That's what I really believe. I, I think that was really part of his brand. That you know, it's a kind of grab your crotch, you know, shoot somebody the bird, own your ass, I'm a winner. You know, that that John Anzalone believes that. I believe that. I think other people believe that that is a, a, a cornerstone of his popularity. And he's starting to look like a loser. And he's got to well, do... James, he is a loser. Well, we know that. Okay, I'm talking to his people. Yeah. Okay, and I, I'm talking yeah. about the, the unvac, the people that don't get vaccinated, the people that don't believe in climate change. Okay, that that's kind of people. I'm, I'm talking about stupid people actually thought he was a winner. Now even stupid people are starting to see, I don't know, maybe this guy's not that much of a winner. But I, I don't know. That, well, I that, think, that's a theory, and maybe we can, it'll play out over a period of time. There was a small test in that Texas special congressional election. Another test coming up, which we've talked about before, is going to be the Virginia governor's race. He's going all in for this guy, Glenn Youngkin, whether Youngkin wants it or not. Uh, I've seen Terry McAuliffe's first batch of real commercials, and he is all into linking Youngkin and, and Trump. And uh, if uh, if they take another big drubbing in Virginia, uh, it's it's going to, I think, add to that feeling. If, on the other hand, they win that race, uh, God help us. Right. So, so you and I follow this closely. We talk a lot. So I think I'm going to echo you. You can disagree if you want. I, I haven't seen, like, a, a, a Jeff Guerin poll in the last couple of weeks or so or whatever. All right? But you really get the feeling that McAuliffe has done a lot better over the last 30 days. And in that video that American Bridge clocked him on of him talking about, you know, abortion is just freaking devastating. And he, and you've covered politics enough to know that these first-time guys, it, it seldom works. They don't have their foot. Right. And I don't know, right. we, we could lose it. Something may come up. It may go south. But wherever it is, I think it's a, it, we would both agree it's in a better place today than it was on July 4th. Totally agree, and I would certainly suspect, strongly suspect, that we haven't heard the end of Mr. Yunkin's hypocrisy or two-facedness or... uh, Right. I hope that don't. He he, he worked for uh, uh, Carlisle Group. I don't think the fruitful... I think the fruitful area for him is is just what Terry's doing 
is they tying him to Trump every day. And they had Biden go down there and they just like had this joyous campaign event and tying him to hypocrisy every day. Because, you know, as you point out, was it 10 out of the last 11 times that somebody's won the presidency and lost the Virginia governorship? Right. So right. Th th we're going to, you know, the Virginia election is more important than you think. That's what I think. Not you think. I think I'll use totally. I think you think. I think you think it's important. Yes. You think it, I think it, and I think our viewers will think it. So right. anyway, but please write in. We have another contest. This is another new contest. Right. You've been great on the Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame, but now this is the, the Spineless the uh, this Hall of Fame. Spineless. Kevin not, not McCarthy. Or Lindsey Graham. And please don't yeah, put Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy against Lindsey Graham. You're talking about a different no, I, kind I, of character than Lindsey Graham or, right. or Ted Cruz, all right? right. We're talking right. about utterly right. spineless, you know, cowardly, okay. you know, compromised people. And, and we're both a little bit torn, and you decide. Right. You get to decide. So we'll look forward to hearing from you. I, I have an observation. I don't know if you like it. How, when I wake up in the morning, I look at my, you know, cell phone, and it's 4.30, I know I'm going to have a shitty day, all right? And I try to go back to sleep, and my pattern is screwed up. The single most determinative factor in the way that I feel is how much I sleep, all right? Now, I, I, tell us about this product, because I haven't tried it yet, but i got to tell you, I'm really interested in it, because that, that really matters to me. Hey, James, I have an answer for you. It's Rise, a science-based app to improve sleep and your daily energy. Now, we all sometimes feel groggy or sluggish, particularly as we get up there in years, but it's not normal to feel tired all day. That means you're carrying sleep debt, limiting your energy peaks and making your dips less productive. So you might be surprised to know you can become a morning person all without ditching your phone, buying supplements or a mattress or a weighted blanket. RISE uses a scientific fact-based approach to help you get the rest you need with cutting-edge sleep research. RISE works by pulling historical data from your phone to tell you your sleep needs and tracks how much sleep you still owe your body. Then it shows you your daily energy schedule and shows you techniques to pay it back so you can make the most of your day. Every morning, Rise tells you how long you'll be groggy, when your peak focus times will be, and when to start winding down for better sleep and more energy. James, it's made for you. It's a totally. You know what? I'm going to see my, my daughter on Sunday, and she's going to set this thing up for me. I can't wait. I can't wait. Because I'm serious. I, when I, the time I get up in the morning is the most determinative thing I'm going to feel that day. If, you know, it, this, this sounds like, you know, really putting technology to good use. And boy, if that thing got me 45 minutes more sleep a night, I, that, and I think it, I think it can. I, I have great hope for it. Great hope. And tells you what your energy level is. I, this, it, it's just, it, you know, this, this, this is what we both need. Yeah, it, it helps you realize your potential with real results, real productivity, real performance, and real well-being. So go to risescience.com slash warroom and download the Rise app today to try it for seven days. 
Most Rise users feel the benefits in just five days. So try it today to learn more about your sleep and energy levels and plus feel better, all for free during this trial. And whether you want to become a morning person, be less exhausted during the day, or improve your productivity and daily energy, Rise is the power behind your next best day. That's risescience.com slash warroom to try the Rise free app for seven days. Well, I'm excited about this. This is, this is right in James Carville's wheelhouse. Let me tell you. Does, does that mean you're going to have higher energy, James, for this show? I can't imagine that. Uh, you know, I'm telling you, I, I don't get hangovers anymore because I know how much I can drink and not a hangover. But if I, if I get five hours of sleep, I'm a different person than if I get seven and a half, eight. I can tell oh, you. Oh, me too. Me too. I don't know if we're still going, but also you, you tend at a certain age to wake up a few more times in the night or once or twice more and maybe visit yeah. the restroom. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and, and sometimes it is hard to get back to sleep. I, you know, rise is what we all need. Hey, James, our guest is the distinguished, and I don't use that word lightly, Harvard Law School professor Randall Kennedy, you know, one of America's foremost experts on issues pertaining to race and law. It is an especially opportune time to talk to him since the critical race theory, if Republicans have their way, is becoming a major political issue. First, Professor Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us. It is an honor. Uh, And I want to start with a very simple question. What is the critical race theory? Well, nowadays, critical race theory doesn't have a real meaning. Uh, For Republicans, it's anything that you don't like. Uh, Originally, I mean, if if you go back into the 1980s, critical race theory had its origins in legal academia where you had people who were to the left uh, and who asked the following question, why in the aftermath of the Civil Rights Revolution do we still have such a massive race problem in America? And they basically said that um, some of the ideas behind the Civil Rights Revolution were inadequate. So, for instance, they... um, uh, they didn't believe in, uh, you know, color blindness. They believed that the uh, we were going to have to be a lot more aggressive, a lot more race conscious, in order to move the society to a, a, a higher level with respect to the race question. But that's not what people are talking about nowadays with respect to critical race theory, frankly. No, it's the way the Republicans want to paint it. Uh, and they take, I guess, what might be termed the least attractive elements of what was uh, a, a perfectly legitimate uh, uh, academic theory. But what Republicans are saying, this is really about white guilt. It's about people who say racism is so embedded that it's not only systemic, but it's not eradicable. And that the legal system really hasn't changed. That's that much. right. Now, that's, that's what they're saying. That's and that's wrong, isn't it? I mean, you know, that itself, I mean, to say the legal system hasn't changed, whatever the imperfections, and Lord knows they're there, you know, the legal system has made has made a lot of progress in the last yes, 60 years. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I deplore the 
attack on critical race theory. This is just an on. This is just the latest iteration of the right wing, you know, cultural war against anything they view as progressive. But there are aspects of critical race theory that are vulnerable to attack. So, for instance, there are people who call themselves critical race theorists who say, for instance, that you know black people cannot be racist. Well, you know, listen, anybody can be racist. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are vulnerabilities, but that's again, not what's really going on here. What's really going on here is people just, you know, the, the, the people on the right conjuring up, uh, a boogeyman and that's what's going on. And by the way, they're doing it quite effectively. No, I think they are. Their main uh, targets, they say, we want to ban this from being taught in the public square and, and taught in public schools. Uh, I don't believe it's being taught in very many public schools in America. Uh, and we teach a lot of things in schools uh, that uh, are, uh, are are dubious, Marxism, uh, supply-side economics. But you're right, they are being affected. As far as I know, it's mainly being taught in law schools. Is that right? Well, again, you know, it, it, it all depends on what it is. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you think of you think of it like this. One of the one of the central features of critical race theory is simply the proposition that race has mattered a tremendous amount in American history with respect to all aspects of American society. Well, who doesn't believe that? You know, I, I mean, I, I don't call myself a critical race theorist, but I certainly believe that race has been yep. quite central to American life. There's another thing. Isn't it ironic that the Republicans who have, you know, year after year after year criticized so-called cancel culture, have criticized people, you know, uh, progressives for wanting to, according to them, shut up everybody. Now they're coming forward and passing laws saying you can't teach this and you can't teach that and you can't propound the other. What hypocritical goal? James. Uh, so, Professor, I'm a, a little bit nervous here because I'm going to see prostitute at LSU Law talking to a Harvard Law, law professor, but I'm, I'm going to try to get through this and uh, get my footing here. I, I want to divert a little bit from critical race theory. And you've written a lot about crime. Yes. And, and crime particularly as it relates to race. Yes. And we're trying to get, uh, we have an invitation for Reverend, uh, Senator, excuse me, Senator Warnock to come on the show. So he's going to be running for re-election. We know that's going to be an issue. Crime of homicides are up terribly in Atlanta. What would you, how would you advise Senator Warnock to deal with this? Because as some people on the left say that, well, this is just understandable. This is part of the structures of the world that we live in. And I think that's a, a, a losing political message, to say the least. But I'd I, I like for you to weigh on this sort of crime issue, and particularly how race impacts it. Sure. I would urge Senator Warnock and anybody else to be straightforward and candid and not run away from ugly realities. The fact of the matter is that crime is a problem. It didn't just become a problem 
It has been a long-standing problem, particularly in um, disadvantaged communities. I mean, you know, wealthy people um, can do all sorts of things to protect themselves. They can go behind, you know, they can be in gated communities. They can be in communities where, you know, they can hire their own police forces, for goodness sakes. It's poor people who need um, uh, good policing. I mean, policing is an absolutely essential public good. Now, we need good policing. We don't need abusive police. We don't need racist police. But do we need good police? Absolutely. And with respect to getting resources to police, we need to funnel resources to police. Indeed, you know, we need to play, pay police more. Um, so I would urge, I would urge uh, the senator not, a, not to run away from the issue. If there has been an uptick, there has been an uptick, and we need to address it. Uh, so that's, that's what I would say. So I want to keep getting your kind of political opinions on things. One of the things that I, I detect, and you would be more familiar, that there's a generational divide among blacks. It's not monolithic. I think, you know, the way that we used to do politics is you would go to the Sunday churches, you would bring John Lewis in, or you know what I mean? Yeah. You would do the typical stuff. I don't think that that, and of course you see the best and the brightest come through you because you're on the faculty at Harvard Law School, but, but do you detect that the way that your parents looked at, at things is significantly different in the way that your students today look at things? I, I, and I, I'm just urging a lot of people to do a lot of research as to how, you know, if, if Democrats want to do better, where there's real slack in the rope is getting younger uh, uh, communities of color. I don't like the word, but it's phrase, but I'll just use it because it's a catch-all phrase. Involved? Do you sense that have been teaching and, and seeing generations come through your classrooms? Are you, are you seeing a divide between, within the, the particularly the black community, between older and younger, the way they view the world? Yes, it's a complicated story, though. And on the one hand, okay. among the younger folks, we have people like, you know, the great Stacey Abrams. And we have, I mean, just, I, 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 I salute. And we have these activists on the ground who've been working and have been doing some magnificent work. Some of the Black Lives Matter people, magnificent work. And so, and, and I, I, I embrace that. On the other hand, and here's directly responding to your point about generational difference. I find myself having difficulty with some of my students. They listen to me and they look at me and they I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 66 years old. Yeah. And they say to me, okay. Professor Kennedy, you are stuck in respectability politics. You know, I, I say to the students, listen, comport yourselves in a, in a fashion that will gain the respect of everyone, including, including your adversaries. I talk about, you mentioned John Lewis. I say, you know, John Lewis and the Freedom Riders, 
they were told to comport themselves in a way, in a way such that when they would get arrested, and they knew they were going to get arrested, but when they got arrested, they wanted their parents, they wanted their community to be proud of them. So they were very careful about what they wore. They were very careful about how they acted. They were very careful about what they said. And in my view, that was good. That was good politics. Now, a lot of the students, my students look at me and they say, Professor Kennedy, you're too concerned with the white folks. You're too concerned with impressing them. You're too concerned with accommodating their feelings. And what I say back to them is, listen, uh, we're talking politics here. So if I want to get people on my side, I, 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 don't, I don't apologize for that. And it seems to me, if you're talking politics, that's right. You want to be very careful about how you present yourself to other people. You want to get as many people on your side as possible and you want to blunt the attacks of your adversaries. I still hold by that, but there are a lot of younger people who view that as accommodationist, who view that as, again, they put down, you know, they, they, you know, they, they deride that as right, respectability right. politics. Right. So before I turn it over now, I, I've asked this sometimes, even, even my students, people are like, well, I think 68, 69% of people going to vote in the election are going to be white. It's fundamentally stupid if you want to win an election to, like, tell 70% of people you're not worth a shit. I mean, that, you know, the good news, we don't need a majority of whites to win. Yeah. All right? In, in hell, in Mississippi, if we got the registration the way that we need it, we could win with 22 and a half. But you got to have some. It, it, it just, I, I have this problem even with my students. So I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Al or get your reaction to one more thing because I, I read about you. You actually get a kind of free speech guy. And I, I would tell my students the only reason I don't do this is not philosophical. I just don't want to give the fucking university a, you know, to have them crap a pineapple. But I, I would invite David Duke. I, I, I would be I would be glad to debate him, and if I hadn't taught you any better that you would be seduced by that, then that's shame on me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't done it, and I'm, I'm I'm done with it. But what's your reaction to racist free speech, if you will? Just you can't think of a better word for it. I think I tell people, do not be afraid of anything, and. Um, and and again, I you know I go back to the, the 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 great people of the Second Reconstruction. We've had so many losses. You know, we just lost the great Bob Moses. We lost John Lewis. Yeah, I, I tell my students. I say, listen, if you know my my activist students, I say to my activist students, take a look at what they did. They were not afraid. They were not trying to shut anything down. They said, bring it on. We'll talk. We'll debate. And I think that it's that spirit. I, I urge my students to embrace that spirit. Let me say one other thing. You talked about white people. That's right. You know, the United States of America has a lot of white people in it. And you need them. Yeah. <laughs> 
You need them. And I, I would press it a little bit further. You know, let's go back to back to the crime issue. There's been a lot of talk about the police and, you know, abusive police. That's a very bad thing. It's really an Achilles heel in our legal system, the lack of regulation of police. But one thing I say to folks is, you know, in talking, the, the police rough up white people too. The, it's, it's not just black people who are roughed up or who are shot by the police. What about white people? And getting back, by the way, to the, you know, the critical race theory people, one of the, one of the ideas of critical race theory, it was propounded by uh, my longstanding colleague, Derek Bell. Derek Bell had an idea that, listen, you're not going to have change in America until you're able to link it with something that'll be helpful to white people. That's, that was one of his central ideas, and it's one of the central ideas of a lot of people who call themselves critical race theorists. I say to them, fine, embrace that idea, and let's, really t let's take it to crime. Um, now, when we talk about police and abusive police, people immediately think black. They immediately think of the black person who's been thrown to the ground by the police or the black person who has been wrongly arrested by the police, I say, hey, let's make it clear that there are plenty of white people who are treated badly by police, shot by police, wrongly arrested. Let's not make it the case that as soon as we say police, as soon as we say crime, people immediately think of a black face. Now, let's get the white people involved in this, and let's make it clear that white people also have, a, um, have, have, have skin in the game here. It would be good for white people to have police better trained, better regulated, uh, better educated. So, yeah, white people need to be part of all of these conversations, as far as I'm concerned, more a part of all of these conversations. That's such an important point. There should not be a contradiction between saying some communities need more police, mm -hmm. not only not defund the police, they need more police, but they need better police and more accountable police. That should not be contradictory. Absolutely. And, to, and by the way, again, let's not be afraid of just facts. Take, you know... We just had, an, there, there was just an election in New York City, uh, right? I mean, you know, primary anyway, the general's coming up. Yeah. Um, right. the, the person who will probably be the next mayor of New York City was a police officer. He was a police officer who got a lot of support by making it clear that he recognizes that people need good police. People need protection against, you know, criminals. And um, we've, we've seen that. We saw that in Minneapolis. We've seen that over and over and over. Regular folk need protection against people who would encroach upon them, upon their lives, upon their liberties, upon their property. I am a progressive, and I say that. And I think that we need to be really clear about that point.
Boy, that's such an important point. James's favorite Senate candidate, Val Demings in Florida, is a sheriff. Oh, My guess is that she, that her message is going to be very similar to Eric yeah. Adams. Uh, and 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 you know, let's hope that more progressives uh, uh, take that counsel. You know, I spoke to you last week, and I, you, you said something along the lines of, you know, you thought for whatever problems we have, we were beyond the point where we had an actively uh, race baiting uh, uh, national political figure who pandered to racial fears, and then along came yeah. Donald Trump. Well, uh, I'm in, I, frankly, you've hit upon a sore nerve with me because I'm, I, I feel a, a, a bit embarrassed, to tell you the truth. Um, I study the race question. I put a lot of time into it. And that's right. I did think that we were beyond certain things. I did think that, for instance, I, 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 I did not think that you could be a national politician and uh, be comfortable race baiting. Well, clearly I was wrong. Uh, I thought that the country was further along than the country is. We still have, um, uh, you know, large swaths of the population that are susceptible, that are amenable to race baiting. That, it seems to me, is just a fact, and we're going to have to grapple with that. You know, this is not the same as, as, as Trump, but um, the conservatives, the dominant conservatives on this Supreme Court have really, I, I think you would argue, I would argue, certainly have set back uh, racial progress with some of those decisions uh, like Shelby in the last uh, five or ten Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Is that a fair? Uh, well, I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, um, the case in which the Supreme Court of the United States, I guess it was in 2013, eviscerated the Voting Rights Act of 1965, I, I think that that's going to, that case is going to go down in history as one of the great judicial delinquencies. I think that that case a hundred years from now will be talked about in the same breath as, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson. I think it was an outrage. I really do. And it's clear that the conservative bloc on the Supreme Court is not going to um, give a strong anti-discrimination look at some of the state legislation that's coming down the pike with respect to voting. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States for the foreseeable future will not be an ally of racial justice. Uh, to the contrary, um, it will be uh, an obstacle to campaigns for racial justice. I don't say that happily. I say that um, I, I, you know, I, I, I say that um, with a with a heavy heart. But it's just true, and it's all the more reason. It's all the more reason why these elections are so important. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is that the 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 composition of the Supreme Court of the United States is a function of elections. Now, there's some luck in there as well, of course. Uh, 
you know, some some presidents get more picks than other presidents. But by and large, this you know what happens in courts, at least with respect to the you know, constitutional decisions, it's 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 largely a function of uh, political tendency, and that's why these elections are going to be so important. Senate, president, in particular. So, so I, I, I'm only a student. I'm going to raise my hand and said, uh, Professor, I, I, I disagree with you about Shelby. I think the single most significant case in modern American jurisprudence is Bush v. Gore. Because these motherfuckers <laughs> stole an election from us, and we didn't do shit about it. And they said, you know what? <laughs> if we can steal a presidential election, we can do anything we want. So that leads to Shelby County. That leads to all of this. They just went out in, in thievery and said, look, this decision doesn't matter about anything but now, but we're just going to take this thing and we're going to steal this election from you. And you know what you do about it? Not shit. And the New York Times and the Washington Post and everybody said, oh, thank God Al Gore respected constitutional democracy. I, for the life of me, and, and, and I get in arguments with Walter Dellinger and people like that, and I said, you don't understand. In my world, Bush v. Gore said, you can do whatever you want. And that, therefore, you just say, we're not going to vote on, on Merrick Garland. We're just going to ram the Amy Barrett through. We don't give a shit because no one is going to do anything because the country are feeble. I, I really believe that. I don't mean to challenge a Harvard Law professor, but that is my, <laughs> my view. Professor. Listen, I think Bush v. Gore. I think that Bush versus Gore was uh, a terrible judgment. I remember the day in particular. Um, I was I was absolutely I was so sure that the Supreme Court of the United States was going to do what it had, you know, uh, the, the, the what law professors sort of thought it was going to do. That is to say, this is a political issue. It's a political question. We're not going to get involved. I thought for sure that was going to happen. And I must say, yes, I was dumbstruck by its intervention. I, you know, it was a terrible, another delinquency. Um, now we're debating which one is worse. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, I still think that Shelby County was worse. But the point is... I mean, you know, now we're, you know, we're, we're really arguing at the margins. The fact of the matter is right. that the Supreme Court of the United States, for a good long while now, has been controlled by a conservative faction. For instance, I really don't like it when the newspapers talk about, you know, um, they, they speak as if only now the Supreme Court is becoming conservative. The Supreme Court has been controlled by conservatives for a good long while. And during that period, uh, this conservative faction has been unfriendly and has shown its unfriendliness towards campaigns for racial justice. And, um, and other things as well. It's not just not just racial justice, if we're thinking about organized labor, if we're thinking about, you know, poor people, the Supreme Court of the United States has been a tremendous obstacle 
And that's just the way it is. And it's going to be like that, actually, for a while. Um, okay, so I'm going to turn it over to Al. Yeah. I just, uh, the point I'm making is, I've got baby Shel the reason we have Shelby is because we had Bush v. Gore. All right, the reason we had World War II is we had World War One. I'm not arguing that World War One was worse than World War II, but, I, but I'm, the point I'm making is that the, the two are connected at the hip. That they knew when they saw they could get get away with this, I think it just gave them shit. The Democrats ain't gonna do anything. They're too lame ass to 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 do what. And Mitch McConnell just rams crap through. But that's that that's my view from here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, <clears throat> Randall Kennedy, I want to tell you our our friend Walter Dellinger, who is the kind of the counsel to this uh, show. He a great believer in free speech because he does it for free. Uh, but he told us, you're the best. Walter has nailed it once again. You have been just a fabulous guest, and I cannot thank Thanks you enough. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, continue with this because public education, as you know, is absolutely essential. So, so Prof, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? But you're from Columbia, South Carolina. I am, and we at LSU are, are really excited about our new president, Dr. Tate, who's going to mm -hmm. be the first Black SEC president, who is the provost at uh, the University of South Carolina. Yes. And I don't know if you know or know of him, but I, he's got a sterling reputation from from everything that I can discern. And we, we're just we're excited beyond our minds. I saw that he had become the president, and I know that he was provost at the USC. And, you know, I will say this, and I think it's, it's, it's really pertinent to what we were just talking about. This is, this moment is a very dark moment. I, 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 I feel tremendous trepidation. Having said that, we have to keep things in perspective and also recognize you know, um, we've faced bad moments before and also recognize change when we see it. That's right. The president of LSU is an African-American. Well, you know what? Uh, my father, of blessed memory, would have been delighted. He wouldn't have even, you know, he would, in, in his lifetime, Unimaginable. Right. So we have to keep on pushing. That's the point. We have to keep on pushing. I always tell my students, Frederick Douglass said, the Republican Party is the ship. Everything else is the sea. <laughs> you know, Martin Luther King never always went to the Oval Office, always maintained a line of communications with Lyndon Johnson. They understood this. Politics is the greatest word in the English language when it's practice with deafness and toughness and idealism. So I, I, I am a, and I think you're that kind of guy that understands that, that politics is the way that we really make advancements in this country. Absolutely. And just but one last thing. Sure. I mean, with, you know, you talk about the law. The law is the crystallization of politics. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's got, it's, it's got its own language. It's got its own protocols. It's got its own logics. But when you really get down to it, particularly with respect to constitutional law, it is the crystallization of uh, our politics. So absolutely, politics, absolutely essential. First thing the Supreme Court does is read the election returns. No, they change the election returns now. 
Thank you. Go ahead, Al. We have learned a lot today, Randall Kennedy. And if you if you run across my dear friend Martha Minow up there, please say hi. Listen, you all be well. Thank you, you very so much, much. Patrick Kennedy. Big honor to have you on our show. Thank you. Take Scott. care. Be well. Bye bye. Hey, now we want to tell you about a delicious meal service that won a big position on our dining table this past year. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. So skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. And thanks to HelloFresh, eating healthier has never been easier. With HelloFresh's calorie-smart options, Make it easier to enjoy tasty, lower-calorie meals this summer without endlessly searching the store for ingredients or scouring the web for unproven recipes. I, my only complaint, James, is that my daughter steals them from me uh, You know when I get them uh, because she loves them. But what we're really excited about this summer is that HelloFresh has everything you need to get grilling. Think grilling bundles, burger packs, surf and turf packs, and more that all add to less shopping and more sizzle. And their produce gets from the farm to your door in less than a week, which means fresh, high-quality ingredients. Your whole family will love it, as yours has, James. Right, look, this stuff is tasty, all right? And, and, like, when you go, if I go to dinner, you don't know exactly what you get. The, the nutritional stuff is right there. So I, I have, you know, some, it's kind of controllable, but I have late-life high blood pressure issues. All right. And so you go out, you go somewhere, you might be getting 4,000 milligrams of sodium and not even know it. All right. I right. mean, this stuff is, you can look at it. You can, it it's right there. You know what you're getting. And, but it, it's not, it, it's actually, the, because I'm from Louisiana, I, I, I think food should taste good. This stuff really tastes good. It, 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 it really tastes good. And you know exactly what you're getting. And, and, you know, these guys tell you exactly what's in it, and, and you can adjust according to that. I think it's, I think it's invaluable. It's, it's massively convenient. And at the end of the day, it, it pretty goddamn, it's very, it's not pretty, it's very tasty. Tasty and healthy is a great combination. So right. eat well with HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14 and use code WarRoom14. That's all one word. You get 14 free meals plus free shipping for America's number one meal kit. Remember, go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14 and use code WarRoom14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. We also include the link in our show notes. So, so I know a lot of people, particularly of our generation, but some people go, you know, think TV dinner. That's like comparing the tricycle you got as a child what a Tesla S-Class or something, all right? This is not <laughs> the same product at all. This is a Piper Cub compared to, you know, Airbus 350 or whatever, Boeing, you know, 787. It, 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 you you got tr- you, you to try this. I've just, I, I, I urge everybody listening to this, try this stuff once, and I, it, I guarantee you, you're going to come back and back. I guarantee you. And tell my daughter to stay away from my HelloFresh. I want it. Oh, okay. it's good for her. <laughs> hey, James, you're going to love some of these questions today. 
This is first from Jessica, who lives in California now, but she is a fellow Louisianan. She was lives in California, but she was she was from Baton Rouge, born right. and raised there. Her dad graduated from that magnificent institution, right. the Louisiana State University. She went to middle school, McKinley Middle School, oh, before sure. her family right moved to Australia. And right. she's moved back to the U.S. when she was 19. She's right. now 42. And you can see that education, that Baton Rouge education, really right. served her well because she makes a very good point. In light of all the recent events and all the Republican attacks on women, I've come up with a tweet-length Democratic message for the 2022 midterms. Here it is. Suburban moms, if Republicans take the House, they will take away the child tax credit Democrats gave you. Vote like your child care depends on it, because it does. It's the child care, stupid. We'll be hearing more of this. I like that, Jessica. I, I, I tell you what, why don't you come over to our partners and we'll go do a campaign somewhere. Your political instincts are glorious. By the way, McKinley High, I, I remember Don Chaney played in the, in the NBA Oh, yeah, a guard. Yeah, right. I, I think he was a graduate of McKinley High. I, I, I'm was pretty he? sure. I could, I, I, did I could he play for the Celtics, James? I, th I think he did. I think maybe the Knicks, too. I don't remember, but this is some time did ago. He? So, but but he, he was a very good NBA player, and I think he went to McKinley, but I can't explain it. But, but th th this woman's instincts are dead on. Or dead out. It, I, I like the utility of her verbiage, which means she doesn't use a lot. She gets right to the point. You're a genius. All right, That's we've got a, Jess a Jessica, a Jessica James Bayou combination. I love yeah, it. it. Keep 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 writing, Jessica. The second question is from Frank in Florida. So if Biden sends food and medicine to Cuba like the Marshall Plan, uh, that would win Florida over for the Democrats and get rid of two miserable senators, Rubio and Scott. Hey, I'm all for getting rid of those senators. I don't think this is the prescription, however. I think, you know, I guess we had a couple uh, weeks ago, Admiral James uh, Stravitas, I think basically had, he had the best best ideas about how to approach Cuba, because it is a problem, and they don't want to have a whole bunch of refugees coming in circa 1980. Uh, Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter can tell them that. But it, it's a carrot and a stick. It's to keep the pressure on, uh, to say, hey, if you keep this repression on, you know, we're not going to get anywhere, but also send a diplomat there, talk to them, see if there's a way we can move forward. I don't think just sending food and medicine is going to do the trick. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a kind of complicated thing because... The purpose of sanctions is to, like, get people hurting so they, they take on the government. I mean, that, that's the stated purpose of them. Now, there are people that say quite justifiably that we're really, like, messing people's lives up by not sending them food and medicine. And I, I, my attitude would be, you know, yes, it's going to cause some short-term pain, but there's some chance that you have a long-term gain. By the way, I think that we're going to get rid of Rubio. I think Val Demings is one of the best candidates, Senate candidates that we have. I think her profile is superb. I am all in for Val. I'm going to help her raise money. I, uh, I, I, I like her platform. I like her attitude. I, I, I just think that it's, a, it's the perfect Senate candidate. And remember, the last Senate race we had, that Rick Scott, you know, won by 10,000 votes. And so I yep. am very high on Florida Senate. And I, I think we, I, and I think Rubio is, he, he's not Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy class. Okay. That, that, all right. There are very few that get to that, but, but he's, he, he's a, he's a pretty slippery guy, really slippery. 
Well, you're right about the last Senate race being only 10,000 votes, but uh, I don't know. I, I find it hard to be bullish on Florida. Uh, they still don't have a very good Democratic Party. And, uh, well, I, 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 think I, it's, I think I think you're right. Watch about this. Shake, uh, yeah. Well, that's, you get you know, that's the hope. Reed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which he points out is the home of the uh, Marines' largest East like Coast Florida, base, Camp Lejeune. Camp Lejeune. He said sure. we... He said, we East Coast Marines call James a Hollywood Marine, but he's also a two-time a two-time Ivy League grad, and he loves the Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame. <laughs> Fellow Princetonian and also two-timer Ted Cruz, that was his favorite. Here's a question for you, James, from Reed, uh, uh, from, the, from the East Coast Marine. Uh, yeah. Why don't the relevant state parties, Democrats, and, and states were guaranteed to lose, uh, refuse to run a candidate and throw their endorsement behind a single moderate Republican. I guess I don't want to. I don't want to answer your question, but if you can find one, yeah, good luck. You know, you're right. I, I have a West Coast radio. I, I went to Paris Island a couple of years ago and toured it, and you know, it, it's a lot rougher that South Carolina humidity than it is in you know San Diego's June gloom. I, I, I'll buy that, but I, I was I was glad to be out west. But you're right that in this uh, uh, Jacksonville's in eastern North Carolina, and uh, I think Camp Lejeune is a, is a second Marine division. I don't remember, but I think that's what it was. It typically was, but it's a, a great outfit, and you know, a lot of great stuff goes there. I think Fort, uh, what's the, the big huge? Is it Fort Bragg that's in North Carolina? It's a huge, huge. Fort Bragg is in North Carolina. Yes, yeah, that's a huge. Yes. Great, the about to be renamed Fort Bragg, named yeah, after yeah, an Bra infamous uh, Confederate general. He was, he was, he was massively so, incompetent. Right, right. right. He was right. in Fort Polk with the, the Episcopal. The, the thing is, they couldn't even, most of these are not just named after Confederate generals. Most of them were really shitty generals. Yeah. Right? And, and Braxton Bragg, who had a sugar plantation in Thibodeau, was a particularly shitty general, as was Leonidas Polk, who was an Episcopal bishop. That I, I think he was shot, and Sherman was quite happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for the new names. Uh, Brian in Long Island, New York, asked, Democrats won Senate seats in Indiana, Missouri, Delaware, and others after self-described right-wing purists and Tea Party activists won their primaries over more traditional Republican incumbents like Richard Lugar and Mike Castle in Delaware. Remember Mike Castle uh, lost to the anti-masturbation uh, activist. Oh, I forget I her name. Forget but, her. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, she, yeah. Was, she was great. I miss her. Uh, yeah, I and too. Brian says, I now read that Senator Lankford might be in Oklahoma, might, might be in trouble from a right-wing Trumpian uh, and disgraced former Governor uh, uh, Greitens uh, in Missouri, he might win out there. Remember, he was the guy. He not only had right. a sex scandal, he had a finance scandal, too. It was a false imprisonment scandal, which is a crime. In addition to the well, sex. He, he, he had everything going for him. And he had yeah. to resign in disgrace. And But, you know, he's a Trumpian. You can't rule out that he could win a primary out there. And I think Brian's question is really a pretty good one. Is it possible history might repeat itself and Democrats squeak through in these seemingly out-of-reach out of red states? Missouri, maybe. If Greitens is the nominee, maybe. Oklahoma, you know, I think they could uh, nominate Attila the Hun, and I don't see any hope in Oklahoma. Let me say this. We had Senator Lankford on our show. 
and he is a very, very, very conservative guy, right? But but I, I you know I don't want to say anything like <laughs> to get him in. Uh, but but he he was a, a, a like most people. I, I have a lot of friends in Oklahoma. I think there are a lot of nice people there, and, and a lot of people that nice people that I disagree with, and I would certainly put him in that category. But I, I, one thing yeah. I don't have any influence in is a Oklahoma Republican primary. So. I, I think you, 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 since the language, let me say this, you're far too right wing for my taste, but at least you're a friendly guy. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't going to get me, you ain't going to get me to knock the Sooner State. I'm married to someone who, who, who was born, who was born in Oki, James. So I'm, well, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock Oklahoma or I'm in deep trouble right. at home, but. W- welcome to the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve in Atlanta, Georgia, said earlier this year, all the news was how Donald Trump would be indicted and hit with multiple lawsuits. And other than the Trump Organization CFO, it appears lawsuits are being prepared, but they haven't been brought to fruition. It's the same with Matt Getz. There's continued reporting about all of his wrongdoings, but no indictments. Has the legal system now realized they don't have enough evidence to formally charge these individuals? Steve asked, I think, hoping that's not the case. I don't think it is. Uh, you know, there's an expression that the wheels of justice grind. So, I, I, the stuff on on Tom Barrack is even worse than you think it is. Oh. Uh, and you're forgetting about all of the stuff that's going on with the Manhattan DA. We're, we're forgetting. You know, I think Trump may be complicit in in the January sixth, and I think people really believe that. So, I, I I understand it's kind of frustrating, and you know the the, the the Mueller thing was, was horribly frustrating to a lot of people, but I, I, I don't think this is remotely done yet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You have to wait a while. Probably, and but, I yeah, think that, man, that Manhattan DA is building a case. I mean, I don't think right. the end the end all is Alan Weisenberg. Uh, so let's just see. And there, there, there may be other cases too. Bill in Houston, Texas. Uh, notes the Republicans rejected hiring extra IRS workers to inspect the returns of high income uh, of high income uh, taxpayers. Why not have the IRS pull ten returns at random from the top 0.1 percent and audit them? I don't want to tell the IRS any. I don't want to give them any instructions. That's not what we do with our tax agency. But I do want to point out to the incredible hypocrisy of Republicans in opposing that that initiative to pay for an infrastructure deal, which is going to apparently happen anyway. I mean, the IRS is under-resourced. They are, uh, they, they, they need, they have tech, technology needs. They have, haven't been updated for years and years and years. And for every extra dollar you spend in, in those investments, you gain another seven, eight, or ten dollars in revenues. And you're gaining them not from the average working stiff out there, James. You're gaining them almost exclusively from tax cheats, rich tax cheats. And uh, it's something that should be easy, it should be natural, but that's not what Republicans want. Right. So, so it's worse than you think. Because wage earners, which are most of the people in the United States, so if, if I'm a plumber, Right, and I, I get a check. They take out the, the, the withhold income tax, they withhold the FICA tax, they withhold the Medicare tax, they withhold this. All right, and then what you like is it's come the time they withhold too much, and then come April fifteenth, you get a refund. Understand, that's not the way that people like you and I file a tax return. 
We don't file a wage statement. They are dependent on what we tell them that our income is, compound this by tens of millions. And they don't, and why should a plumber be, has to pay, you know, maybe he gets a $100 job somewhere, but, you know, I'm not saying it never happens, but most working people are forced, justifiably so, their taxes taken out for them, and the only way that you can, they can have any faith that the, the rich are paying their fair share is you have vigorous enforcement. And the Democrats have to point that out to people. Because there's no withholding. There's no withholding. Tom Barrett does I not absolutely agree. Tax. No, and uh, neither does Donald J. Trump. Uh, but I know it's a hard issue uh, when you're top. You know, the tax auditors are never popular, but right. it's certainly on the merits, you're right. Just, you know, before we go uh, from this uh, segment, James, uh, Mike in Queens, New York, wrote us a note, right? Mike is a fan. Mike, but right. he said, um, he, Mike says he's appalled that we ask listeners for nominations for lifetime Ivy League sphincters. And then Mike accuses us of betraying him by turning around and relying on pics of Sean Wilentz, uh, Princeton professor who we both admire greatly. A lot of us work very hard in our selections, only for you to defer to wait for it. Wait, wait, an Ivy League professor. He's also <laughs> upset. The, the pick of Rutherford B. Hayes. He said Hayes was a fierce abolitionist before the Civil War and a hero in the Civil War. Now, he fully supported Reconstruction until he didn't, uh, uh, but he withdrew the troops because he cut a deal. I mean, I will just say this, James, you can talk about Sean Wilentz because he is, he is, he is one of the best. But Mike, when it comes to Hayes, I, everything you say about him before is right. And then in the most important decision of his life, he was wrong. He ended Reconstruction. He pulled the troops yes. out of the South. He, he yes. re-engaged a segregationist America. I'm sorry. He deserved the Sphincter Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah and I, th I think he might makes the case good. And by the way, I, 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 some of the people that graduate from Ivy League schools are assholes. Many are not. Many of them win Nobel Prizes and, you know, write books and... Cure diseases and, you know, it, it, so, yeah. Become president of the United love, States. Right, yeah. I, I, but I love Mike's passion and I love it, you know, I love it. But I, I think the defense of, of Hayes, it, well, he was a good guy. His heart was in the right place until he was politically expedient. Then he introduced, you know, a hundred years of Jim Crowism. It's a defense, Mike, but, you know, <laughs> I think you made our point. All right. Keep taking us on, Mike. Keep it coming. Yes, it has. Yeah. And, and please send those letters. There were a couple, there were good questions this week that I didn't read for a simple reason. You didn't tell us where you're from. It's really important to know where you're from. Right. We're uh, big on geography. God, we love these yeah. questions. They, they are so good. And it was nice to be back with New Zealand again this week, uh, James. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, love, I want to go there. I, that, I, that, that Peter Jackson, that, that They Shall Not Go Old might be the best movie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was so well done and creative. But I want to go to New Zealand. And they don't have, by the way, they I don't do have too. any COVID there. They do a good job. Now, they're having more problems in Australia, though, aren't they? I, 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 I don't know I, that. I, I just, uh, yeah, I thought I read that. That that may not be true. I don't know. I don't know. Um James, before we leave this segment, I just want to very, very quickly note and have you pick up on it. Uh, Simone Biles, 
the greatest uh, gymnast of all times, uh, dropped out of uh, one of the Olympic contests for mental health reasons. I think people forget that these stars, these people who we glorify in some ways and create high expectations, boy, there's a lot of pressure there. And I think this young woman who was just an incredible athlete and by all rights, uh, lights rather, seems to be a, a really good person. But boy, she's had a lot of hardship in her life. And uh, my heart went out to her. I think getting her well again is more important than even bringing home more goals. Well, I, I, I make a larger point here. Uh, mental health is a huge issue in the United States. I mean, I mean, huge. And, and I, I think it's been you know, kind of stigmatized. And, and people say, well, just an ordinary person like me, you know, is. I mean, Simone Biles is anything but an ordinary person. I mean, she's extraordinary. And, and I actually think that there's some chance, and I know it's terrible for this, for this young person to have to go through this at the pinnacle of her career, but, but I think there's some chance it, it, will, it will give people some faith, some ability to face up to some of the issues they have. And at least I hope that. And, Maybe I'm naive and want to see the good side of everything, but I think there's a potential good side of this to say that, you know, arguably the most talented athlete in the world, the same thing I'm suffering from, and, you know, I'm a barista at Starbucks. So there's some, that maybe there's some hope in this. Boy, that's a good note. Uh, that's a good note to strike. Uh, we all can hope that. Hey, James, uh, now for our Outrage of the Week segment. There are a lot of choices, uh, as always. And I'm not going to defend the way the CDC has communicated its latest recommendation on masking in high-risk areas. I think, substantively, they're probably right. But though, because with this Delta variant, we're in a very dicey period, uh, especially in those states uh, that have failed. But the loud criticism of the CDC over the last couple of days has come from Republican governors like Ricketts in Nebraska and Reynolds in Iowa and Christy Nome in South Dakota. These states have among the very worst records in America on COVID. Uh, on, on COVID. South Dakota is essentially tied for first place in having the most incidents per capita. Nebraska and Iowa aren't quite as bad as South Dakota, but they're really bad. A lot more incidents per capita than those supposedly left-wing states governed uh, by Democrats in California, New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. I'm more worried than I was a few weeks ago, James, even though here in Washington we're pretty safe. But we're in a dangerous times, and those know-nothing governors just make it worse. Oh, it, it's, it's horrible. It, you know, a month ago, I was planning my life, and I had to get, I had to get out of Louisiana. If you look at the, the, the infections per 100,000, uh, and by the way, there is a almost perfect correlation between the number of infections you have and the political leanings of that area. All right, you just got to go look at it. And I don't understand. By the way, there's a piece of research today, Pfizer came out with, that said if you get the, the third shot, it, you, your immunity is up 22-fold. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I did? I got the third shot. And by the yep, way, yep. if they tell me a yep. fourth shot is what I me need, too. I'll get a fourth shot. 
I'll get vaccines like I, like I get candy. And how can anybody be so stupid as to not get like it? I mean, like you get bourbon, James? I think that's a better, better analogy. Absolutely, and I I had my shot three hours ago. Maybe I'll feel bad, you know, somewhere down the road. But right now, I, I, I knock on wood. But I, shit, you give me twenty-two times, and then they got it's so dumb. They got to get rid of the vaccines. It's not like you're taking it away from somebody that wants it. These stupid. It's the only thing I can tell you. You're just stupid if you're not vaccinated. And it may there are be, people, there are places. Of people so have many, it. Let me be clear. Some people might have a, 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 a real reason they can't, but that's a very limited number. It is. I, I could show it. Is. I could I just think, slug somebody. I could slug them. You, you are so right. There's a small number of people who have legitimate religious objections. That's, that's teeny. There's a few who have medical reasons. And there are some people of color who historically are skeptical of vaccines. I understand that. Uh, I think they have to be persuaded because this is different. This works. This is effective. And if there are any resistors out there, and I suspect there are not very many, please get vaccinated. So how, how far, when you grow up in, in Mainline, how far did it was Valley Forge from where you grew up? A mile. All right. In 1777, I guess it was, maybe 78, in that winter, Tough George winter. Washington <laughs> yeah. mandated, mandated right. that the Continental Army take a smallpox vaccine. And right. if you think that this vaccine is not more developed than the smallpox vaccine was in, you know, the late 1700s, then you're nuts. All right. George yep. freaking Washington, the Continental Army. All right. But in, the, in that winter, when, you know, they finally got to Trenton and, you know, one of the most significant battles in American history. You know what? They were all brave and they were all vaccinated. It's so fucking stupid. I can't tell you how stupid it is. James, do you know how many states do not? How many states do not require the polio vaccine for elementary school kids? Not none. The answer is zero. Zero. I mean, mandatory polio vaccines, absolutely mandatory. And, uh, you know, and, and there's a reason because, you know, you, hey, the kid could get, could get sick and, uh, and he could infect oh, us. I don't get me this, started. I mean, you know, as, as if I would, we were kids, they said, well, this is the Eisenhower vaccine. I don't want it. Right. How right. dumb can you be? It's just if they bad. had been around, James, if they had been around, there'd have been a lot more iron lungs. I mean, it really is a remarkable well, you know, uh, what these uh, John people are doing. Social... I, I mean, what, you know what? He, 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 he wasn't an entrepreneur. He wasn't a capitalist. They asked him if he was going to patent the polio vaccine, and he said, well, I'd be like patenting sunshine. Why would I want to do that? Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I bet you Sean Hannity and Tuck Carlson can't stand Jonas Salk. You know, a, a, a Pittsburgh goody-goody Jew. We don't need these kind of people that, you know, develop vaccines, work hard and say, you know, I want this as my gift to the world. Please. And all he did, all, all he did, James, was save tens of thousands of lives. That's all. You and me, we couldn't leave the house. I was yeah. stuck in the summer and you, I know the same thing happened to you. Your parents were like, we're scared to death of that shit. We were sure. Right. No, no, no. it's true. And, and, all and, right. And, get, you know, get back. Get vaccinated. Yeah. Well, you, you, I know uh, you're vaccinated. Okay, are we you out of this or you have something more, Jim? No, I just, <laughs> if you listen to this show, you're vaccinated. Just, this is 100%, but God damn, try to get somebody else to get it. 
reach out. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we really appreciate it if you'd check out the link to our sponsors, Rise and HelloFresh. We thank you for supporting them when you do. It helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another program as we continue our War Room planning.